Welcome back to the second part of my interview with sports psychologist Chris Bradley. In this part of the interview, Chris details what it was like working with England legend Wayne Rooney, as well as one of Britain's most promising tennis players, Jack Draper, and the unusual route he has taken to world number 61. I think that story alone is worth a listen for parents and for junior players in particular. So please sit back, relax and enjoy listening to part two of Chris Bradley on the Tom Hasen podcast. Were you, were you at Derby under Lampard? No. Ah. So... Uh, Cocker. Yeah, so he'd left and Philip Cocker had just taken over. What was he like? Good. Was he a good guy? Yeah. Um, yeah, I really liked working with him. He was... Was he on board with all the psych stuff? And yeah. Do you find good. some managers are less? Yeah. Really? Yes. The old school ones? Um, it's not necessarily... Uh, it's not always old school, I f- don't think. Um, because I've worked with managers that you'd probably look at in a press conference and say they're old school yeah but they're behind they, it yeah and then one's way then fresh like you know fresh out of a playing career or or were playing at a time when you think they'd be up to speed with like sports science and yeah. psychology and stuff and then they're not that interested so yeah i think it's more about your the experiences as a player yeah so um, I remember Philip telling me when I first started that he'd had a really good experience as like an academy player in Holland with a psychologist and it had really helped him. Yeah. So then I think that informed him yeah. and made him keen to to explore that as well and yeah, to, yeah. to bring someone in. Um, That's good. Yeah, which was really good and you could have, and he was really like knowledgeable about psychology as well. Yeah. Like could have really good conversations about psychology and how different players would respond differently to different things and yeah. stuff. So that was that was good. Yeah. Yeah. Um Who was after him? Well it was just then Wayne Rooney. Ah, oh, of course it was. Yeah. Were you there under Rooney? Yeah. Was he? Yeah. What was he like? Yeah, Rooney was good. Again, like a totally diff totally different character. But, yeah. Um I think probably like out of all the players that have had some sort of profile that I've worked with, yeah. Probably the most different to what you would expect. Would expect. Really? Yeah. Like, just in terms of, like, really, really intelligent. Yeah. Good learner. Yeah. Articulate. Yeah. Really good at, like, bringing people together. Yeah. And inspiring people. Yeah. Um, yeah. And... Did he lean on his experience as a player and share those, or was he more... Yeah. Yeah. Um, because he'd just come... He'd yeah. literally retired to take that job. So yeah. So he retired one week and then like the next day was full-time manager yeah so yeah he was using a lot of like initially he was using a lot of his playing experiences yeah um, and thinking well what did I want as a player and then yeah. how does that inform how I treat the players yeah but then he learned quick about like it's not just about that yeah um and started drawing on like other coaches or like found his niche pretty quickly I yeah. think and really good at like um putting his trust in people where he recognized like they had a strength that he hadn't learned yet yeah um so he was like happy to hand over control to coaches yeah and observe and learn and like pick things up as yeah. he went along so 
I was like really impressed with his how quickly he developed as a leader. Yeah. From literally stopping playing. Yeah. Um, and to do that, probably not much of an ego. Yeah. To drop responsibility like that. Yeah, I, d- I definitely think he in. had his his ego was like so in check. Yeah. Like definitely had like I don't think you like get to that level and perform the way he played without yeah an ego and without that you know needing to to boost that at times yeah but was like really aware of it yeah so was aware of like that he had an ego and how it could sometimes maybe have like a positive impact and sometimes have a negative impact and how to like manage that yeah and obviously he'd learned that through football, but also probably like a load of other life experiences and stuff that he'd had. So yeah, um, so yeah, it was quite impressive to see someone like develop that quickly as a leader. Yeah, and learn like, because um, almost like, because he already had like a kind of telepathic reading of a game. Did he? Yeah. So can like, just just like ridiculous. I think probably natural gift for like football. Yeah. Um, and what was going to happen in a game and seeing things that other people like could never see. Yeah. Um, like what? I guess just like a load of tactical things. Yeah. And like, um, you know, would would be able to see things coming and see things happening, like fifteen twenty seconds before they happen. Right. Um and try and put things in place to prevent it and just like a real good yeah almost like instinctive knowledge and understanding of the game yeah <coughs> um and then so that he already had yeah but it was really like that won't get you very far no. as a manager when you've got like to deal with a load of staff yeah. and the media yeah. and a group of complex individual players with a diverse range of backgrounds yeah and then on top of like so they're like your kind of basic fundamentals that a manager's got to deal with and yeah. then you've got to deal with um appearances that the club want you to do and then you've got yeah. to go to supporters club meetings yeah. and then on and then on top of that you've got a club where as he took over it was going into administration. Yeah. And managing that and then players leaving and players being out of contract and then starting pre-season not with like yeah. eight players under contract and having to bring yeah. you know drawing favours from people yeah. like you know and then bring the kids through and yeah. develop them and all that sort of stuff like that all happened to him in like a space of six months <laughs> and some managers go their whole career without half of that stuff happening it's unbelievable so it'll have been a good learning experience and it'll be I think it was the right thing for him to go abroad yeah after Derby and just have like be able to there'll still obviously be like a lot a big spotlight on him in the states but i guess like hopefully at somewhere like dc united won't have like the noise yeah to deal with and we'll actually be able to concentrate on improving as a manager and as a coach yeah 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 you think he'll manage in the premier league yeah yeah i think it's probably only a matter of time really yeah he'll definitely get a chance because he did really well with derby under the circumstances yeah so um, it'll be, yeah, I mean, if, I think his goals would be 
to at some point manage Everton and then yeah. at some point manage Man U and then yeah. maybe at some point manage England. Yeah. Like, I think if he could map it out right yeah, now, yeah. that's what he would do. Yeah. But it'd be interesting to see whether that plays out mm. and what other opportunities he gets. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt the podcast. I just wanted to hop in here quickly to say thank you so much for listening to the show. If you haven't liked or subscribed to the show yet, then please do that. And please share the show as far and wide as possible. I'm really working hard to get as many great guests on the show as possible. And I have a couple of absolute belters lined up, but it always helps if you can push the show as far as possible. That's all I ask for now. And please get back to enjoying the show with Chris. Thank you very much. I got to ask Nick Kyrgios. Oh yeah. As a psych. Yeah. What What do you see? What do you think? It's hard to say because I don't know him. Yeah. And, actually, and, I've, and considering like I live here now, yeah. I've actually tried to like find out about because I'm interested in yeah. tennis. Yeah. And, and he is obviously one where his behaviour isn't like the normal. Yeah. The, the, or normal for what you would expect from a tennis player. Yeah. At his level. Yeah. Um. So I've tried to ask people that I think would know him a bit better. Yeah. But there doesn't seem to be like loads of people that really understand what he's truly truly like. Yeah. Um so it's hard to say not knowing someone and it can you can obviously judge people harshly. Yeah. Making assumptions about them when you don't know them. Yeah. But I would say like from what you see is someone who kind of seems to lurch from like ridiculous levels of like confidence to the point of arrogance yeah and then moments of like major insecurity and yeah. like real self-doubt and lack of self-belief yeah and he seems to be on a bit more of an even keel now and it's going yeah. through in his results yeah like i think i think the wimbledon experience was one that like really kind of probably tapped into both those things yeah. in terms of made him actually probably improved his belief that he can actually do it. Yeah. Um, because I think a lot of the antics were almost like, a, oh, I'm not quite sure I can handle this, like, get me out of here. Yeah. Type escape. Is that avoidance. what you, as a site, you, you know, when he's talking to the box and telling them to do something, is that, is that typical get Some, me out of here behaviour? Yeah, it's like an avoidance, isn't yeah. it? It's trying to deflect attention from what's yeah. really going on. Yeah. Um, so there's that side. But then so, but then I think it also made him realise, like, um, wow, if I actually, like, focus. Yeah. Like, when I... Because f- there was matches where he would, lose, like, check out mentally and lose a set during Wimbledon. Yeah. And then just came back in the next set with like renewed focus yeah and it looks so easy when he's zoned in like that like yeah. it's ridiculous how easy he can win sets against like all the best players yeah um like he's just seen it in again is, is montreal there playing at the minute they did cincy oh yeah where did he, yeah. he just beat medvedev somewhere wasn't yeah he? i think that was cincinnati i think yeah so the ability to just switch it on not many players can do that either no. That's some freakish talent in Usually itself. Usually if they're right? unravelling, they're unravelling. Yeah. And it takes I have unravelled many yeah. times <laughs> and never recovered yeah. from the unravelling. Uh, I think I spend most of my, the time I've played competitive tennis unravelled. <laughs> Early on as well. Yeah, early on. Um, 
sometimes before walking out onto the court <laughs> and then I never quite got it together. Um, but yeah, so I think yeah, the experiences that he's had this year where he's um, had some success have kind of fueled that belief yeah. and then also made him realise where like actually a bit more humility and focus yeah. actually makes me a better player. Yeah. That's what... If I was like his psychologist, that's what I would be hoping his reflections have been on yeah. his recent success. Yeah. Um, you just never know, do you? With like, yeah, and he's had a tough life. Like, yeah, yeah. Some of the stuff that you hear about following Wimbledon, like I didn't know much about his story yeah. really. Like you pick up bits and bobs, and then you don't really know what's true and all yeah. that sort of stuff. But like, you know, he's had some difficult experiences as a young person. Yeah. He is still young. Like, he's done all, been through all of this as a very young person. Yeah. Like, it's what people forget as well. He yeah. burst through, was it 17 or 19, he beat Rafa yeah. at Wimbledon. Yeah. That's hard for someone to comprehend, totally. right? Yeah. So, and even younger, yeah. you're going to act immaturely. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that early success isn't easy to deal with. No. Um, and, yeah, so you... you I guess the main thing is if he's got good support network mm. um, and he can reflect on the experiences like getting to the final of a slam and yeah. understand what got him there, then yeah, he's probably got a chance of actually winning one. Yeah. But then there's, I also think like from sometimes when you see what seem to be like the more genuine interviews that he does, um, he's also probably pretty happy with where he's at. Yeah. Like, I think he's one of those... I think he actually has perspective because he's, like... Agree. Into other sports. Yeah. Like, loves basketball. So he has a he has an interest... He seems to have interests outside of just yeah. tennis. So I think he's probably partly got quite good perspective where he's, like, well, um, being... Let's say he averages out by the end of his career and he's been, like, top 30 mm. for most of that time and making plenty of money... And playing like all the best events <clears throat> and traveling around the world, like he'd probably sign for it anyway. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, so, and why not? Yeah, yeah. I think that his perspective is is almost a cheat code compared to a lot of the players that are just so wrapped up in it. Whereas yeah. he's like, and he's so good that he can just well, not play the and then he'll win a tournament and then you know. And I think that's you what makes switch people it on and be mad. Yeah, I like, agree. Yeah. So there's the perception that like, and it's the same with Ash Barty retiring. Yeah. So similar sort of vibe, sticking with the Aussie theme. Yeah. Um, but like, someone, people see that talent and they get annoyed that like they might not fulfil that potential. Yeah. Um, and when you're not very talented, like me, <laughs> you might look at it and go, like. Oh, if I was that talented, yeah. I would definitely be doing everything I could. Yeah. Probably wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> I'd probably tank. I'd probably like have the odd yeah. day where I'm like, don't fancy training yeah. today. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. um and the same with Ash Barty, it's like, oh, how can you retire when you're like at your peak and mm. you can you know, you could go on to win every slam and you could do all these things and like if her goal as a kid was to like if she thought in my like wildest dreams I might win Wimbledon and yeah. Aussie Open, yeah, and and then you actually achieve that. Yeah. Like, if you think what that must feel like to achieve the thing that you've probably like dreamt about since you were yeah. eight years old, yeah. What like where do you why go? Would from, you carry on, and where do you go from <laughs> yeah. there? Like, look what it did to Fury. Yeah, like some maybe you just got to say 
they've handled it pretty well, actually, yeah. considering the route that could have they could have gone down. Yeah, and like <laughs> you know, Ash Barty's never going to have to work again. She's got yeah. other, again has other things going on in her life that yeah. I'm sure she wants to devote time to, and like, um, so like if you you know like like if your dream was to make twenty million, yeah, and then you made it by grinding. 70 hours a week yeah and then you eventually got there yeah like not many people would then continue working 70 hour yeah. weeks and make, <laughs> do you know what I mean yeah like you'd probably chill out a little bit yeah you might not completely chuck it in but some people would retire and some people would yeah. do it so I don't know what the difference is just because you've got a, a talent in one specific thing. yeah well then the the opposite of that is they don't do the 70 hours anymore. They don't perform like you expect them to perform. Yeah. And then they're getting hammered for first round exits. And yeah. you're like, oh, should have quit while they won. Exactly. Yeah. So you, can't, you win. can't win, can you? No. You just can't win. So, Curious is a real interesting one. Yeah. Um, I think, I don't have like a split opinion on him like most people because I think yeah. there's some context there that we don't know about. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. But probably quite a lot. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but maybe interesting. I think he's just interesting, isn't he? He yeah, plays he's... the game in an interesting way. He's great yeah. to watch. Yeah. Say what you want. Two two things. One, I once like put out a poll of people who wanted like the Sitsi Pass Kyrgios and who was Team Kyrgios, who was Sitsi Pass Kyrgios heavy people like yeah. seventy thirty Kyrgios. Yeah, 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 yeah. But people won't come out and say it. Whereas on the con, it was really interesting because the poll was like seventy thirty Kyrgios. Yeah. But the comment section was like there was like 30 say there was 40 comments 10 were pro curious and 30 were negative yeah so the people that are voice that talk are the ones that talk the loudest right and mm. that's the the opinion i guess that gets heard because you voice they voice that negativity whereas the people that are like yeah i actually quite like him yeah don't really comment you won't comment get yeah, yeah, yeah love him what a guy no whereas people are like oh he ruins the sport this that yeah well he definitely doesn't ruin the sport he does no like once with like obviously fed pretty much being done and then um Djokovic and Rafa come into the end of their careers yeah like, you know, unless like more they, people like they, Kyrgios come through because it could have turned pretty boring yeah <laughs> completely while, agree like there's yeah. some great players out there like, yeah it's probably doing some of the players like Yannick Sinner and those ones yeah. like a bit of a disservice but the game could have gotten dull. Yeah, it really could. And I also think when when you go to when you go to a tournament and you look at the schedule of play for the day. Yeah. You look for Djokovic, Nadal, and Kyrgios. Yeah. If you know Fed or Murray, yeah, it's yeah. not there. Yeah. You're looking for those three. Yeah. So what does that that tell you? He's, exactly. You know, he's carrying it with yeah. with them as much as as much as the big dogs do as well. No, totally. Mm. We watched Fognini at Wimbledon. Legend. Oh mate, what a tank! The best tank I've ever really? seen. Really? I actually caught a video of him literally dumping one in the bottom of the oh, net. Oh, I think I watched that match. Oh, it was so good. He lost the plot. Yeah, he came off at um, change of ends, and we'd watched like Batista Agut here, yeah. and he, he'd gone off. He retired, so this court was now empty. Right. So we're watching like outdoor court, like as if it was a balcony. Yeah. And he's come off at one set, or he won the first set, lost the second set, or the third set. Maybe he's two sets one down. One of the boys was like. Come on, Fabio. And he just went, honestly, in his Italian accent, he's like, honestly, it's better if I leave. <laughs> and then we were like, oh, oh, I think he'd actually like be disappointed if we got behind him now. Yeah. He just wants to go home. Yeah, he wants to get out of there. <laughs> it was yeah. so funny. 
<laughs> like what a guy. So you went Derby, and then you end up in Sydney, yeah. and then that brings us to to here. So mm. how did that come about, and what do you do now? So now um, I am working for the Institute of Sport in New South Wales. Um, the so I'm head of psychology there, section, yeah. or section lead it's called, for psychology. So basically managing all of the psych support that goes out to the different sports. And then I've got two sports that I'm contracted to myself, which is Rowan Australia and Paddle Australia, but that's specifically canoe slalom. Right. So whitewater, kayak and canoe. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so that just, that just came about through... Um, a conversation with someone that I got put in touch with because so as a psychologist you always have supervision yeah and my supervisor had um while we were chatting in supervision about you know my career path and what I wanted to do and stuff and he was like oh well if that's kind of the way you want to go then you should speak to this guy um who at the time was either in New Zealand or maybe even like the Middle East yeah and he, this guy called Tom, and he became um, a bit of a mentor and we'd speak once a month and yeah. just chat about, so he was a psychologist by background, but yeah. then progressed through to doing roles like performance director and he's now director of performance and well-being with um, the RAF. Yeah. In oh, wow. Sydney. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, and he was really helpful just gave me loads of cool advice and then at the time though his job was one of the um, high performance managers at in Swiss yeah for the Institute of Sport here and yeah we got talking and um, it was like around yeah just after Tokyo yeah and, um, he was like look in Swiss are going to advertise this job I think you should go for it and then went for it and here we are here we are yeah unreal how did because you're pretty fresh, how do you compare Sydney to England? Happy with the decision? Yeah, I think like we've settled. Yeah. So um, we've been here. Seven Was it hard months. to well, make the move? Um, I don't remember. I mean, there was hard elements. So yeah. There was loads of like stuff that was going on at the time because our wedding got postponed mm. by yeah. twelve months. So which meant we ended up. Um, having to get married and move to Sydney within the yeah. space of a week. Yeah. Um, which was, that had its stresses. <laughs> yeah. Um, and moved, like, you know, we owned a house um, back in Sheffield, so we had to, like, move out of that and get that ready to rent out. And like, Yeah. So you're, like, your whole life gets turned upside down. Yeah. And I've got a little girl, so yeah. then you're uprooting her, and then, you you know, you're trying to make sure that... Um, She's kind of stable with yeah. the whole thing and on all that sort of stuff. So it was like, it was hard as in like there was a lot to sort out and a lot to do yeah. and a lot to, on both sides, so yeah. a lot to get wrapped up and then you get here and there's like what people tell you to do like mm. or to in, and set up yeah. is probably like 10% of what you actually have to set up. <laughs> <laughs> the people are like, oh yeah, you'll need this, you'll need that, you'll need that and yeah. then like you get here and then there's like another million things on top of that. Yeah. So hard like it didn't really feel hard because one living and working abroad was something i've always wanted to do yeah so it was a chance to do that um my wife has lived all over the world so yeah. and um so it didn't seem she wasn't phased yeah. by the challenge um so that was good to have yeah. someone who'd kind of been there and done it and um had experience of moving around so 
it didn't necessarily feel hard, but it was complicated. Yeah. Um, well, that's, I guess, how I would describe it. Mm. But it f- didn't feel hard because we were excited and we wanted to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then can. since arriving, yeah, like it probably... But everyone, everyone was saying, yeah, it'll take you six months to mm. feel settled. And I was like, oh, yeah, maybe, but I'm sure yeah. everyone's different. And yeah, like we kind of hit around the six month mark and we were yeah. like, oh, yeah, we actually do feel like yeah. we're settled and enjoying it. Now. Yeah. Um, that first six months are just chaotic, right? And you yeah. don't really know many of the people and you don't know the lay, like, the lay of the land. And no, you're constantly like... Where to be. Yeah, like finding something out every day. Like, yeah. where do I get this from or where do I go for that? Yeah. Or, um, you know what a capsicum is. Yeah, <laughs> that's through me. I I still go into the metro and I'm looking for peppers <laughs> yeah. on the automated. Yeah, thing. same. Yeah, three years later, I still yeah. do the same. I can't. I also think there's a stubbornness there that means yeah. you'll never start. I want it with Woolworths capsicum. to change it. <laughs> yeah. Woolworths will change to before do a I do. Root and branch review of what they call peppers. <laughs> um, <laughs> so. Um, otherwise I just won't buy them. I'm going to boycott them. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, they're that expensive. Exactly, it doesn't matter oh, it's disgusting. It's like $8 for two peppers. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, that was one thing that, like, yeah, if anyone's thinking about moving to Sydney, it's expensive. <laughs> um, people do tell you that before you come there. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so it's definitely, I'm glad we did it. Yeah. Really glad that we've kind of, taken on the challenge yeah some stuff has been awesome like um you know wife's got a job now she's working yeah. the same place as me which is fun yeah and interesting <laughs> um for the first time we've never worked together before and then yeah like work's good um starting to figure out like the childcare system and all yeah. that sort of stuff so there's loads of stuff to think about but i'm definitely glad we took on the challenge and we'll yeah. be we'll be more well-rounded yeah definitely. as a result and yeah um I think it's a good test to go through and yeah. as a family but also like on an individual level and if you mm. can I think we're now probably at the point where like okay we kind of we're settled and we we survived that yeah so you know it makes yeah. you feel a bit more resilient to survive yeah. other things yeah um, I think um once you've moved here just nothing really seems that daunting yeah or if like the thought of moving again isn't daunting because yeah. you can't you legitimately unless you went to New Zealand can't get any further away <laughs> yeah, anyway that's the thing in that so yeah um so yeah like in terms of the distance no it hasn't really felt that difficult mm. um not yet maybe yeah. in 12 months time I'll be missing watching the borough people back home yeah I don't think I'll ever miss that <laughs> um <laughs> so yeah the only thing the only thing like given that we're on the topic and this is kind of what your podcast is about is not working in tennis at the minute yeah so I haven't got any individual, so it's the first time probably since 2010. Yeah. And even then I was coaching tennis. Yeah. But that I haven't been involved in tennis in some way, shape mm. or form, which would be, at some point, I'd like to get back into that. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, because uh, that was really cool, like the couple of years at the LTA and that intervening time yeah. between what we talked about with the academies and... Yeah. Derby, um, so two really cool years working with like some of the developing uh, English uh, LTA yeah, yeah. players, yeah. which was really nice. Um, Did you work with Radicanu? No, so she was. So my job at the LTA was the 
players that were aged between 16 and 24. Yeah. And at the time she was 15. So she oh. was still on like the development program. Yeah. Um, so I actually didn't really, and then she came on to like that caseload, but she was doing school and like, they were never talking her up, were they? Um, she was good. Yeah. Like, and people in, so the coaches and, you know, people, I think people within the LTA knew she was good. Yeah. Um, but the thing, I think the, the reason people weren't talking her up, but I don't, it's clearly not held her back now Mm. is she she's really smart yeah so she's prioritized education so i think people are always like held back by she can pretty much do whatever she wants right yeah so if she she might just choose not to do tennis and go down an academic route or a a different route and and do something else i mean she obviously loves the game yeah yeah um has had already an unbelievable career yeah like, that's unbelievable isn't um, it? And do you reckon that's a, a a tough ride to wave so young mm. Mm. like yeah i think it'll be tough and i think it yeah it's again it's not something that like uh and i'm sure emma's got like really good support and yeah. stuff uh, but nothing's going to prepare you for that <laughs> is it no not at like all. you can't go like what if I win the US Open at yeah how old is she like what, 18, 19, 18, 19, 19 without dropping a set yeah like, from quality having qualified and never won a WTA event before that yeah like that's not a conversation you have no <laughs> so then when it happens it's like okay now we've got to be reactive and we cope with this yeah and she's got to do like career in reverse now mm. like she played she hadn't played on centre at Wimbledon no. before winning the US like that's you're doing everything backwards well, it's, it's incredible well. really yeah like, it is that happens rarely no. where a player at that age like you've got Boris Becker doing yeah. like a similar sort of vibe but even then like <laughs> that's a long time ago so, yeah um yeah so no she wasn't on the case though but um Jack Draper who's doing really oh, well yeah, of course. a bit of time with he, Jack uh, who did he beat yes, this morning he beat Sitsipas this morning he beat Sitsipas and then walked Got a walkover against Monfils. Yeah. And then I think lost to Corino Buster today. Okay. I'm not sure. But um but yeah, really pleased to see like Jack doing really well. Like yeah. really great lad and really um his mum and brother are great. Like, yeah. Really lovely family. Um Did he so did he stand out to you when you were working with him? Yeah, but again had like other stuff going on and yeah. it was like um took a bit of time off at one point yeah. and stuff like that. And I think like the what's interesting about them being like the the young players that have kind of broken through Emma and Jack yeah. is both of them had time out. Yeah. So Emma to do school and Jack to like have a break when he felt he needed one and I think that's like a really good lesson to learn yeah. for coaches and parents and players is like if you're if you're doing well at like let's say 16 17 yeah having six months out probably isn't going to do you any harm no no whereas people freak out don't they and yeah go like oh we need to just keep do keep going now yeah like we've almost like we've almost made it so we just need to keep going yeah whereas sometimes that can be like the worst thing you can do yeah you actually need to not burn out did, did he feel burnt out well i don't like it wasn't necessarily burnt out there was just a lot of stuff going on that yeah i haven't got his permission to go into, yeah, yeah so of course. that but um but there was just like he was dealing with a lot of stuff and to do that on top of being 
16 and playing full-time tennis yeah and traveling the world yeah. like it sounds awesome but yeah. actually it's really hard yeah yeah like at that age to, yeah. to do that um and you know being away from your family and mm. stuff like that like it's not it's not easy um so it was more just like a, it was probably a preventative thing. I don't think it was necessarily that simple as like, right, he's feeling burnt out, so he needs to take six months off. But it was just like, he's dealing with a lot of stuff. Yeah. Like, what's the... So you're almost doing like a cost-benefit yeah, analysis yeah, yeah. of like, if we keep going, where does this end up? Mm. And if we stop, where does it end up? Yeah. And ultimately it was like, well, if he stops for a bit, worst case scenario is his ranking drops to like... 250 yeah you can still build your ranking back up from there yeah or whatever it was at the time like i'm yeah. plucking out of there um whereas on the other side you're like if we keep plowing through all this and don't deal with some of this other things that he's got going on that's potentially a lot more dangerous yeah than than just stopping tennis for six months yeah um so yeah like that was that's a real like nice lesson to learn to see yeah. someone who did really well, then did the right thing in terms of taking a break and yeah. didn't hammer it just to get to like the top hundred or whatever. Yeah. And is now probably I think his live ranking after this week will be like fifty five. Jeez. Yeah. Wow. So um yeah, like it's really nice to see him doing really well. Yeah, for sure. I think that's a great great positive note to end it on, mate. So thanks a lot for coming on. No problem, Tom. Always a pleasure to chat to you. Mm, Absolutely, and uh, I'm sure we'll chat again soon. Yes. Cheers, mate. Cheers, pal. Oh, I really hope you enjoyed that episode. It's the first one I've done face-to-face with someone, and it was a lot of fun. We've come a long way since the yellow Nissan Micra and the school holiday camp days. I hope this episode, as much as anything, was a source of comfort for tennis players out there. When I think back to my playing days, I always felt that to improve my mental state, I had to do so many things and it felt overwhelming to me. But Chris breaks it down really well and keeps it simple. Whenever something stressful comes up in day-to-day life, use that as an opportunity to work on the coping strategies that he outlines within the episode. It all seems so much more manageable and going through a psych routine as many times as possible in day-to-day life makes a lot of sense to me, especially when you compare it to simply doing it on the same day as a match, which then brings a lot of stress around all of these routines that you might be using. I really hope that you found it a useful episode and found the insights between tennis and football and now water sports for Chris an insightful one because I certainly did as always if you want to find out more about Chris or myself please feel free to drop me an email at tomhaslam at tomhaslamtennis.com or message me on Instagram at tomhaslamtennis we'll be back soon for another episode of the Tom Haslam podcast thank you so much for listening